Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. You ready for this? I'm ready. Go. Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast. I am your host, Lori Winfeld, and this is a special exclusive episode for our friends at She Recovers Foundation Conference in Miami. Bing, 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 bing. That's me being super excited, not only for this exclusive Miami episode, but for the fact that our special guest today is one of my BFFs, Michelle Smith from The Recovery is the New Black. Please welcome Michelle. Hello. Have you ever had an introduction like that before? I think yours takes the takes the cake here. I love that. Yeah, it's almost like a fucking circus act. Like here we are. Okay, look, it's been three <laughs> seconds and I already dropped the F-bomb. Welcome to the recovery hour. <laughs> okay, super excited to be able to share so much today uh, again with our exclusive episode, which is so exciting. Thank you, anyone that is listening and that clicked that QR code on the beautiful postcard that was in the swag bag today. Now, Michelle is on here for several reasons. One, BFF, why not? Because we chit chat all the time. Two, well, recovery is the new black. Hello, we need to get lots of info about that. Three, she's not just a pretty face on Instagram. We got a lot to talk about. And four, we are da, 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 partnering on a really cool freaking project later this year. And I cannot wait to share the deets on that. So, Without further ado, I am in a freaking whack job mood today, just an FYI. So you're all getting the best of the best of the wacky Lori. Hi. Okay, Michelle, before we get into anything else, hi, this podcast is about you, not me. <laughs> let, let me introduce you again. Um, I want to talk about your story specifically. This is how I would love this to go down if you're down with it. Let's chit chat about who was Michelle before recovery and what brought you to recovery. I know that you have a story. Everybody has a story. And then let's talk about this social media influencer stuff, what that means, how you got there, how sometimes it kind of sidelines who you really are and how some of us who aren't social media influencers don't understand that. I really want to talk about that. Then later on, we'll talk about what we're up to, which is going to be super exciting and surprising and fun and just freaking ruling the world together. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. Tell me about Michelle pre-recovery. What's your story? Go. Yes. So Michelle, before exploring my recovery, I was an ambitious, educated, powerful mom working in corporate America. Mm. I had lots of, I had worked my way up into like basically my dream job. I always had the idea and I was, I was conditioned very early to work very hard for everything that you get. So you need to go to the best schools. You need to be studying the best education. You need to have a really great job in order to maintain security and financial freedom for yourself as an independent woman, regardless of who you end up with and, you know, combined partnerships. And so 
I had this belief that happiness equaled success. And so I worked so hard at everything, gave it 110%. And what I started to notice as I was growing in my own career is that the burnout rate is so high because I'm constantly as a woman trying to up provide, do more hours, take another, you know, extra case or an extra client in order to show and prove myself, not only from a position standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint. And so, you know, years and years and years of of working, obviously in a high stress environment, like I ended up in, which was working for the Department of Corrections, it was exhausting. And I started to notice that I was starting to feel worn down in a very high conflict, high stress, unsafe and unpredictable environment a lot of the time was really starting to take a toll on my emotional health and my mental health. And so I started to see warning signs of just shortness, irritability, frustration, not getting the results that I wanted to see from some of the programs that I was developing and some of the success from the inmates not recidivating and coming back into the system. I was, I was noticing I was getting too close to the, the final product per se. Mm, mm. So it was like, I put so much into this individual and invested this time. I know this person's capable of maintaining recovery, stabilizing their mental health, And I see the potential in these individuals more than they see it in themselves. And so I was, I was just a little bit too connected to their result and disappointed when they would take those steps back. Because when you're cheering for them, you know, it's just like you see it and they're almost there and something happens. And so I started to notice, okay, Michelle, you have to make some really serious life changes because if this is affecting you and impacting you, not only professionally, then I was also being impacted with it when I went home. I'm thinking, geez, this person got released, doesn't have a bed. I'm sitting here in my king size bed in my warm house at night. Mm -hmm. And it just, it really started to bother me. And so I noticed what I started to do was accept happy hour from my coworkers. It was kind of a time to decompress. And as I started having my children, I noticed that not only was it high conflict and stress when I was at work, but when I was transitioning from working into being a mom, Mm. it was also that, you know, emotional, mental exhaustion where I felt like there was no in-between time to decompress. I felt like a pressure cooker that was about to explode. And I didn't know where I wanted to be when I wanted to be. It's like, of course I'm home with my kids where I want to be, but now I just want to teleport back to work and have some silence, <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, we talk a lot about this mommy wine culture and I think it, you know, a lot of times it gets pretty confusing on what it really means. And so my understanding living in it is the culture that I saw as a mom, everything, everywhere, every person, it was centered around alcohol of some type. And so yep. if we're not wearing the t-shirts or the wine mugs, then, you know, something's wrong almost like you need to be initiated into this, (laughs) this club, or you are an outlier. And that doesn't feel good when you're trying to connect in part of something. I lost my identity of who was Michelle before becoming a wife, you know, having two children and being a mom 
I just dove into this and I, I wasn't ready for it. You know, mm-hmm. there was no instruction manual that came with these kids. And <laughs> I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm losing my mind half the time. I had just lost my mom, mm. the person I would have asked all these questions to. And so I just started spiraling and I was too stubborn to go talk to my doctor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of opportunity for me to reach out and get some support and some camaraderie, but I was too stubborn thinking this is going to pass. This is a new season. I'm just struggling, trying to balance both worlds. Yeah, It's just going to take time. And the more time that went by, the more opportunity I had to reach for this external solution to this internal problem, which for me was unresolved bereavement from my parents. Mm -hmm. It was an undiagnosed, um, the postpartum depression from, I thought was just a normal baby blues, but it had continued. And I had underlined anxiety. And so when those things weren't addressed or acknowledged, I found this quote unquote cure or solution temporarily that made me feel better in the moment because I didn't have a lot of time or bandwidth to find other ways of self-soothing or even trying to find a doctor's appointment for myself to go and have Mm -hmm. these conversations. And so it led to some very, very excessive drinking over time. And it, it didn't take very long, but when you're invited to happy hour and then these drinks are at a two-year-old's birthday party, which feels like a staple, you know, it's like cupcakes and balloons and wine. (laughs) It's always there. And if it's not, something's wrong. I don't want to be at that party. Right. Oh, true. And so it, it just kept tumbling. Like it just kept adding on all these places that I would go. And I just kept saying yes, a little bit more often than I ever would have before. And if I continue to do that, not only is my tolerance going up, but my dependence physically to the substance was going to take over And eventually control me versus me in control of the drink. And that's eventually what happened. Mm. Wow. You just spoke so many people's story. That is that it's like textbook. It's like textbook for a lot of women and and even men that, you know, dads, stay at home dads that have to experience that as well. I think the idea of coming out of the corporate culture and then, you know, sort of climbing your way through that and focusing on nothing but what's next. And then here you go with your non um, pamphleted children and we have no instruction. And here, there you go. And by the way, a relationship that you are with, you know, co-parenting or, or living with my husband and I talk about this so many times is, is living with someone, you know, just even that, like, as you're going through your marriage and recognizing that you will forever have someone by your side that doesn't like that you, the knife in the sink with peanut butter on the end of it after you just lick it, like that's not (laughs) (laughs) so true. So, um, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I completely understand. And thank you so much for that story that you just literally, um, reached so many people saying, Oh my God, me too. So what for fast forward? So what it sounds like is you just said, yes, 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 yes. And then all of a sudden now you have this dependency. There had to have been a something that, that you said, this is it. I, I can no longer move forward with this habit, um, and with this, the substance. And, and what was that? What brought you to recovery? There was never this big intervention. It was very much small, intimate conversations, which of course, 
I was in denial and resentful, but looking back, it was very much the best way that people could have expressed their concern. It was um, not done maliciously, but I was in such denial that I wasn't ready to hear those conversations. And I have so much respect and have done my amends for them not co-signing on my self-destructive behavior, that they were doing the best they could with the information they had, which if any of you guys listening, which I know there are, is severe alcohol users. I, I consider myself an alcoholic. I am somebody who will die if I drink. And that's how long I allowed my addiction to progress. And so I need to have those conversations people. I need to be reminded that this is a disease. And so even though I was ignorant and not ready for those conversations, those did plant in my head, which, you know, it's, it's listening to podcasts, it's getting into Facebook groups, it's exposing your mind and creating an awareness that is different than big alcohol and the marketing industry wants you to know is that there's nothing healthy, Michelle, about alcohol and ingesting this is not adding value to my life. And why am I feeling that I need to eliminate myself from my own life that I have created and worked so hard for? And so I had to ask myself some really hard questions every time I'd relapse. And the big difference for me was, was shifting my relapse to that conversation that we have with ourselves the next day, Mm -hmm. instead of that whole shame spiral. And I'm a loser. I'm never going to get this right because I went through that. It was meeting the relapse with compassion and awareness. What can I do differently next time? What am I learning from this? Not, okay, you're a dummy. You've done this before. Why do you keep doing this? I'm going to go punish myself by drinking more of what I'm trying to eliminate from my life. It was madness. It made no sense, but it did at the time. And so it's that habitual, it's a self-sabotaging cycle. And so I had to stop and say, take a breath. What do you need to do differently? Mm. And so why are you drinking? What is making you want to be eliminated from your own life? And so starting by asking myself those hard questions, I ended up in the hospital and I've shared this before. It wasn't one, two, three. It was four times that I was passed out with my children. My husband was at work It was the fourth time of waking up. And this time the difference was, was child protective services was there Mm -hmm. because my husband was working and first responders were called. And so it's considered neglect when you are not able to function, when you were, you know, unconscious and caring for your children or therefore the lack of caring for your children, it becomes a serious issue. And so I woke up and I, I would love to tell you, Lori, that that was the moment that I surrendered and that my life changed forever. And it sounds crazy saying it now because anybody listening would be like, oh my gosh, like if that's not rock bottom, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right, right. And you learn the more you continue to keep drinking that these natural consequences aren't going to be like Michelle's. They're going to be different. They're going to be catered and custom to your life. And, you know, I accepted the need for treatment, which was a another step in the awareness and and trying even a little bit harder, a little bit longer, even if I wasn't quite quote unquote cured. Right. Mm -hmm. But we know this disease never has a cure. Right. And so I accepted the need for treatment. And the thing that changed was I know what it's like to not have my parents. I realized in that moment that I am losing the ability to be able to have custody of my children. Therefore they will not have their parents Mm. or at least their mother. 
And that is something I can control when I was powerless over my parents passing. And so I had to take a really hard look at that. I'm either eliminating myself or I'm, I'm dying earlier than I need to be. And so I went to treatment and it was a great experience. And I came home, of course, a huge piece that I believe is missing when moms, especially go to treatment is they're the problem. So when they go to the highest level of care and it doesn't work, what do we do with this person? Right. What's left? And so I maintained sobriety for 30 days before I relapsed and nothing changes if nothing changes. So if the house is not declared a zero proof and there's something in the house that's triggering, that needs to be removed. It's not just about the person that's going to seek the treatment. This is not a spectator sport. It's a family disease and everybody has to play. Mm. And so it's so important that, you know, the partner gets some counsel. The kids have an understanding whether they're young or older age appropriate, of course. And so those were the conversations that we needed to have that were different of is that this is the environment I'm going back to and things have to change because if they don't, I'm going to fall back into the same habits and routines I did. And all of the treatment and the hard work that I did was just confining from not being able to really like reach my drug of choice. Right. So it was giving me dry time. It's pretty much what it did. Right. With some new tools, which I'm forever grateful for. So, you know, that was when I finally figured out that last time at that last relapse was when I made a handshake with the universe and said, no matter what, I will not drink for that day. And it was the weirdest thing because it was just this commitment and promise to myself that I was tired of breaking promises. Mm. And I think a lot of times we're like, when is this person going to get it? Yeah. And it's not this huge epiphany or major life change. It's <laughs> right. just, they're finally done. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing anyone can do to speed up the process or to scare them into doing it because they're scared enough as it, this was not fun for me at all. <laughs> right. I was sick. Yeah. I was absolutely sick. And I was hiding in my closet, drinking alone, bawling my face off. I wasn't Mm. partying. I wasn't out sleeping around. It was very much a cover up for an emotional and mental wound that I had. And I had to get the dry time to figure out what was underneath there that needed to be addressed. So it took me a span of seven years before it was becoming problematic to when I actually started into recovery. Right. And it sounds like a long time and it's super scary, but a lot happens over that span of time. Yeah. Yeah. That is brilliant, by the way, that every, that whole stretch of conversation, just, I, we're not on video, so you can't see I am literally nodding my head the entire time because like, uh-huh, 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 like in my head, because it's so true. And just what a source of wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing that, Michelle. And I couldn't help but wonder, like immediately when you said CPS, right? That's something that some people have definitely dealt with, others have not. To think about the place that you had to have been in a as a professional, to know that who you're helping is who you have become. And how did that affect you? I felt like it was the ghost of like the past. I like when I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, Mm. I think the shame and the disappointment and the insecurity, it gave me clarity that we're all human. We all make mistakes. Yes. it, It really showed me the power of this that, you know, and that's what I love sharing with other people is that, 
this affects everyone or has the possibility of being everyone from anonymous all the way to famous. Right. And so it doesn't matter how much, you know, money you have for rehab or how stable your house was, or if you weren't neglected or homeless, you know, it it doesn't matter. It matters is that, you know, yeah, the genetics make up a component of this, but so much is society and the pressure and the Mm. accessibility and the glamour to exposing you to a better way. And that's the part that's so frustrating is that we have to do better in that area. Yeah. The, the professionals that, you know, not only I work with, but being one, the shame because of being in the, let's say public eye, Mm -hmm. who would want to go to an addictions counselor, but is currently struggling with a dentist, (laughs) right? Right. And for you to say to an anesthesiologist that, you know, is, is, you know, in recovery or struggling, are you going to want to go to them under the knife? And so pilots are the same way. And so they kind of feel like they have to maintain this level of privacy and security, because if not, the stereotypical person's going to come in and say, I don't want them to fly my plane. Yeah. Right. I was landing this thing. (laughs) So, you know, school principals, nurses, I have a couple lawyers I'm working with. Like, it's just, it just goes to show that we're all human beings and that the faster that we address this problematic drinking and really do some work around it, the faster turnaround to continuing to live a life uninterrupted by alcohol. That's what this is. But we shame ourselves. Our society jumps on that train that it is normal to be a drinker unless you prove that you're not able to hang and hang or you're pregnant. And so that whole sober curious movement that's come in is really awesome in the sense that it's giving a lot of people in our, in our community, the opportunity to raise their hand and say, I don't like the way this makes me feel. I have to get up in the morning, not just I'm pregnant or I'm taking antibiotics or, you know, whatever lame excuse I come up with or other people have, because they don't want to say the truth because they're just not ready to accept the truth. And so let's just be honest about where we're at and allow judgment if, if they want to, because I'd rather live in my truth and have people know upfront that I'm a non-drinker and that this doesn't serve me. And if you're not on my team and you're not going to support me, I don't have room for you. Bye. <laughs> and that took a long time to be able to say that. Yes. But yes. I have more people like you in my life that know more about me than any mom, a wine mom knew about me. I only knew what kind of wine they liked. I didn't even yeah. know their name. <laughs> so it was like, uh, no, I want, I want to be in authentic relationships with cool people that are not going to judge me and have room for me with the good and the bad. Yeah. And that's what recovery has given me. And it's such a beautiful thing. And, oh. you know, I go around now and talk to people that are professionals that they're, it's, it's okay to be vulnerable, but there's a way that you can do it and seek help and recover and come out on top. Yes. And that's something I'm super passionate about. And I know we'll probably talk about that later, but that's, you know, it was really hard, but now being the voice on the other side, yep. it gives me opportunity and experience to be able to spread the awareness that again, nipping it in the butt and addressing it is so much better than trying to pick up the wreckage as a professional, especially if you're licensed in some capacity. Ooh, yeah. Because, you know, the boards and the hoops that you have to jump through, through treatment, it's just a nightmare. Um, and so it's just address it. Like we would yeah. any, 
any disease or condition. Let's do this and move on with our life. Love it. You have said so many things that I want to touch on and you know, who has time for that when you're doing an hour long episode, but one of the things that came from this was recovery is the new black and you are an educator that is in your blood. And that's something that you decided to create a community for other women. When you created recovery is the new black, how did that start? What was, what was the reasoning behind that? You just one day woke up and were like, Hey, I'm going to make this community because you have how many, I mean, it's a huge deal. What's going on there. What's the following. Yeah. You know, I mean, all different places is different. I oh think yeah. There's around like 7K in the actual private group, but I think I'm at like 38K on Instagram. You know, there's just different, different platforms, different people. But we're talking like tens of thousands of people are paying attention to what you have to say on a daily basis. Let's first of all, talk about stress. Secondly, um, again, educating, which is your passion and and what you love to do. And and is that how recovery is new black and needed? Where did that come from? It really did. It really started with that. You know, once I got the feedback from my own kind of warm market of family and friends and really getting the buy-in that I was just, I was, my relationship with alcohol was so problematic that I was supported and not encouraged. So I had this accountability, which was awesome, but I wanted to start speaking up because I was silent for so long by my own willing, you know, that was my own duty. And so also working in corrections, you can't have pictures of your family. You can't talk about yourself. You know, you can't have social media. And so I was like a little bit rebellious. I'm like, you know what? I can start talking about this. I can start being confident about this and I can be safe about it at the same time. And so when I started documenting my journey, it got a lot of traction and a lot of messages, emails, direct messages of just me too. Like I'm a professional Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. I'm even not a professional, but I'm a mom and I resonate in a different way with your story. And so what I noticed was, is that we needed a place to like have more intimate conversations, but more safety measures. And so instead of just doing this on social media, it's let's get this and pull this into a private group. Let's have these more intimate conversations that are people that are really willing to put in some work and get more curious versus just scrolling and looking at positive, right. which is always a great place to start. And so when the groups just grew, questions would flood in and questions to, you know, I've been there. I know the answer to how it was successful for me. I want to start creating roadmap and opportunities for people to be able to have a place to go if they're not ready to talk to their doctor yet or mm. talk to anybody else about it. Because a lot of times people will go to their drinking friends or their drinking partner and ask them, do I have a problem? What do you think they're going to (laughs) say? Actually, wait a minute, Jan, you only had four glasses of wine in this hour. I had five. So clearly you don't have a problem. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to, you're not going to get the, the honest answers that you need from the people that you drink with, because no one wants to usually drink alone, at least not until the very end. And so, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So when you're having to like make those really hard decisions, you're going to notice that everyone is drinking because that's the way it feels, but that's what you're doing. So you're only going to be surrounded by that. So it's really cool to be given the opportunity for people, women to come into this community that are in all stages, all walks of life, all ranks of, you know, money, mindset, everything. And so it just really blossomed from there. So I would create content based on a lot of the repeating questions that would Mm, come up, which led to, you know, programs, which led to work 
programs, which are leading to books, the TEDx talk that I did. And yes, going on the road and having these powerful panels of motivation for women to be able to have this conversation, or at least listen to this message of awareness that isn't really given to people in a different way so that you have an educated, you know, real snapshot of what this is doing to you not necessarily for you in a healthy way to have a better mindset of a decision to make instead of the one that social media and the alcohol industry gives you, because it's just the parts about buy my product. This is going (laughs) to make you feel better. And in the long run, there's nothing healthy about alcohol at all. No, no. I still go back to when you, when you talk about that, I always get so pissed when I'm in the bathroom and it like tells you drinking is bad for pregnant women. And I'm like, well, if, if it's going to hurt my embryo, what the fuck is it doing to me? But okay, whatever. So that's just another tangent, but service. What I want to do real quick is take a moment. You probably don't hear this very often, but thank you so much for all you have done for the women in the community of recovery and still struggling because you have given your life for free. I mean, let's go back to this. Like, I don't think that people understand the amount of work that goes behind creating content in social media for people to then absorb and learn and be educated about a topic. It's unfathomable how much time y'all spend. Because again, I'm no, no way shame social media um, expert or influencer. I have tried and I not hard. I have tried several times to be like, okay, this is the week that I'm going to like go schedule. These posts are going to come out. This is the content that I'm going to use. I'm going to go back to what, what the fuck? No, who has time for that? And so the fact that you have dedicated your life outside of your children and your husband and your real ass job to educate and help and support women is just such a blessing for so many. And so thank you so much for your service. I want to make sure, and any of you that are listening today that that are in the same boat and that are sharing yourself and your story and, and your followings, it's just amazing. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lori. That means a lot. I appreciate oh, that. You're so welcome. And you mentioned books. What, what, huh? question mark, big question mark books with a plural. What's happening? I know I have, um, three total dang girl. So yes, I have my, my story, my memoir of just having somebody to read my story and my heart and my journey from the very beginning. This was written geez, many years ago, but you know, the thing called COVID kind of came in and disrupted the whole thing. So that's going to be amazing to have on the shelf. I am also doing a project that is going to be launching. It's a book that will be launching hopefully December 28th. Mm -hmm. More to come on that, but it is going to be sobriety related. I just don't know if I have the legal um, authorization to express anything further from that. Coming soon. Yes. <laughs> all the logistics, you know, it's like you got to keep things on the download with contracts and all the things. I'm like, I just want to spread the message. <laughs> I really want to tell everybody, do you know who I am? This is what I do. I tell everybody. Right. right. <laughs> I don't keep secrets. I'm a truth teller. Like, yeah, sorry. Exactly. It's killing me inside, jerks. <laughs> okay. And then we have something exciting. Yep. Do you want to share? 
you take it away. Oh gosh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So Michelle and I are working on a project, which we'll talk about later. But in the meantime, we were approached to talk about being entrepreneurs and wound up deciding that we're best suited together. And the reason being is some of us need accountability. And for me, I have these grand ideas. I know that most of my listeners realize I'm no bullshit. And when something comes up, I have a solution. Let's just go fucking do it. And if it gets done, it gets done. If it gets done wrong, then let's just fix it and do it right. Michelle and I have been approached. We're super excited. We're going to be contributors in a book with 20 other entrepreneurs. Then it's going to be published where you can read our story of what we're doing together, where we came from and and what we're, we're heading into, which Michelle's going to talk about. And I'm so excited. Let's talk about it now. Yeah. Addiction awareness, education. Yes. There is this gap between, we believe, sober professionals in the workplace and really bridging that gap, kind of like the second pandemic, like the wave of we've been in lockdown and we've you know been remote working, we've created new habits and behaviors. And what's this going to look like going back into the workforce post-pandemic? And so we have seen a lot of people going back to work with, you know, drinking more than they would like to. And so is the workplace ready and prepared for these conversations, employees coming back and how can they best support them? And a lot of times it just goes back to just kind of like CPR first, you know, first aid or what we're calling that addiction awareness 101 of creating a format and a space to be able to have basic conversations about the stigma and the barriers of addiction in general. So it's just, if this doesn't affect the person that's working, they know somebody and can take something from what we're sharing and educating to maybe their personal life and not so much their professional life. But it's just giving people an opportunity to have information to be able to have the support at work, have the tools and the support to be able to go home at the same time. And so this is a big piece that we're seeing that's lacking in the workforce. And so we're going to be integrating policies and ideas and plans and committees and leadership teams to be able to make a better decision when you're speaking for your employees as a whole. And I'll give you an example. You know, a lot of times people their holiday events are surrounded around, you know, a holiday like work event is at a bar or it's unlimited cocktails. Well, where's the inclusivity for people, you know, who maybe don't drink, Mm -hmm. you know, can we consider maybe not having it at a bar or at least having other options to support people? And so I think there's a lot of stigma still around the workforce that people aren't willing to mix business with pleasure in the sense of I'm a person in recovery or I'm struggling because what will that look like on their day job? So there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be coming out that Lori and I are doing, but it's basically of just doing that going on the road, going to these big companies and having these really important conversations about taking care of their employees the same way they do with EAP programs, the same way they do with their mental health their bereavement programs. This is no difference. Addiction awareness falls into the realm of wellness. And if you want your employees to be great employees, we need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves the best way that they can. And there should be no exclusion when addiction awareness deserves a seat at the table in the conversation. And so we're going to make sure that it's happening. Yeah, buddy. This is really exciting to me because 
few years back, I took a course and was certified as a facilitator in addiction awareness through iCare. You can catch them on the web at iCare-aware.org. And so I got that training. I was so geeked up to go out and do this education around addiction and in the workplace. And this was pre-COVID, just knowing that so many people professionally, because we are professionals, are experiencing this. I remember working at a law firm years ago and one of the big like hotshot attorneys disappeared. Like literally was working at his desk one day, the next day, I'm like, where's Mr. So-and-so? Cause he has to sign this blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, um, he's going to be absent for a while, but so-and-so attorney is going to be working on his cases. And I didn't think I was a young, you know, little girl in my early 20s and was like, okay, well, whoever's got to sign a paper, sign a paper, but winds up, dude, oh, that's why you smelled like whiskey every day. Like, was, you know, nipping it on in the, in this big office, the corner office, but it was shameful. You know, it was something they didn't want to talk about. It was a partner and it was something that wasn't going to go down. I always remember that while that was years and years and years ago, but there's so many people, including ourselves, that were put in these situations professionally that we're either going to go for it or not. So can you imagine, again, I worked at a huge uh, company, software company that everyone knows the name, and they had like rooms that we could go into and play foosball and like throw balls against the wall. And oh, hey, by the way, here's a refrigerator with beer, wine, spirits. If you wanted to take it to your desk, because some people like to have a beer while they're trying to be creative. Well, yeah. Hi. Of course I was doing that. Right. Like, so what you said about the education in the workplace generally is just even thought processes. Like we have these talks about religion and diversity and inclusion. And really, are we, are we catching everyone? And one of those types of humans, let's get back. We're all human, regardless, you know, let's just strip it down, have some instances where they are going to be faced with a life or death decision based on what type of beverage they're going to choose. It's just... It's just that matter of fact. So what I'm super geeked up about is once we finish this chapter, that's going to come out in the entrepreneur book, which is so exciting. Oh my gosh. I've always, you know, this, I've been working for forever on writing my own book and it's happening. It's still happening and that I'm writing, but again, everyone can say it (laughs) when you start doing it, it's a whole different process. So um, just know someday that's coming. And also this addiction awareness education is such a passion project for us. And I'm so happy that we're partnering together and I can't wait until the world gets to see us. And if anybody, let's just put this out there. Uh, We're going to be on stage together, like the grand stage of stages and what that is yet. I don't know, but I'm picturing like a round middle and about 25,000 people around us in some stadium somewhere. Can you handle that? Oh yes, of course. We got this. Super exciting. Well, I can't even imagine uh, having to end this conversation, but it's been long enough. We said the things Anyone that is listening in Miami, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad you heard this special episode recorded just for you. And you can catch Michelle everywhere. Recovery is the new black. Check out her website, Facebook, Instagram, 
She's open for DMs. If you have any questions, as usual, you can find me at lauriewinfeld.com and Lori Winfeld anywhere, social media, blah, blah, blah. What else do we have? That's it. That's the end of the story. We have so much, but we're not, we're done. We're going to leave. It's it time that. to have fun at She Recovers. Woo! Yes. Thank you so much. Well done. I had a couple of times. I'm like, well, I can't even think. You have a good voice for this. Thank you, love. You are fucking brilliant. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.